0: Hey everybody, it is Tuesday, November 1st. Welcome to a new month. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, or at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. We have a lot we're watching on this Tuesday. We'll begin with the Supreme Court, which heard five hours of arguments yesterday on affirmative action. I'll tell you which way they're leaning. We also continue to be on foreign election watch here. There's silence from Brazil so far as we wait to see whether the incumbent President Bolsonaro will accept his loss. We are set to hear from him today. And I'll give you a quick preview of the Israeli election, their fifth in three years. As they try to break the stalemate in that country. I'll also tell you about the woman who hit a golf ball into the Grand Canyon. You know, they're doing this for TikTok these days. I'll tell you about what crimes she may now face. And I'll end with Taylor Swift and the history she is making on the Billboard charts this week. I'll begin, though, in Washington, where the Supreme Court on Monday heard two cases and seemed to be open to ending decades of affirmative action, decades of precedent in allowing race-conscious admission decisions at colleges and universities across the country. A reminder here that the Supreme Court is now a 6-3 conservative majority. Many of the conservative justices expressed skepticism and doubts in the proceedings on monday uh, specifically going after the universities and whether they would ever concede that there is an end point to their use of race in admissions in building diverse student bodies it's a practice that's been in effect now for about 60 years The cases were related to the use of affirmative action up at Harvard in Boston, as well as UNC Chapel Hill. The uh, practice now seems endangered based on the arguments on Monday. The question really is for the Supreme Court, how broad a decision will be and what it'll mean for other institutions of higher education. According to Harvard, about four in 10 universities across the country currently use race as one of the uh, things they use to determine admission. In their decision, which is set to come out in June, when all the big decisions typically come out, Uh, The question will be uh, how far the Supreme Court goes. Keep in mind here, there have been cases going back to 1978, 2003 and 2016 when the uh, Supreme Court repeatedly allowed the use of race-based admissions. But over time, it does appear that justices uh, have grown weary of the practice, particularly justices on the right, uh, and that a time would come for an end to affirmative action. Going to the arguments now, Justice Samuel Alito uh, asked about the term, quote, underrepresented minority. What does it even mean? Uh, Adding that college admissions are really a zero-sum game in which granting advantages to one group necessarily disadvantages other groups. Keep in mind that in the Harvard case the charge is that the school's policy discriminates against asian americans while in the unc case they say that the school gave unfair advantage to black and hispanic students over Asians and white students. On the liberal side, the three liberal members did put up a defense of affirmative action in their questioning. Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, she's the newest justice, uh, this is her first year on the court, said in arguments, it would be odd if admissions officers could consider factors like whether applicants are parents or whether they're veterans or whether they're disabled, but not if they're members of racial minorities. She argued that that actually has the potential of causing more of an equal protection problem under the law then it's actually solving. Keep in mind, by the way, that Jackson served on a Harvard board, so she actually decided herself to recuse herself from the Harvard case, but will be ruling on the UNC case. Either way, it'll be an uphill climb uh, for the liberals here, given the 6-3 conservative majority. Interestingly, both sides claim that the Brown versus Board of Education ruling the famous 1954 decision that prohibited racial segregation in public schools is on their side. The challengers, those who want to bring down affirmative action, say that the Brown decision requires admissions policies to actually be colorblind. At the same time, the universities are saying that actually Brown is on our side. Brown meant to do away with a racial caste system that discriminated against black students and that the decision allows efforts to ensure diversity so it's really interesting here they're basically both trying to use the famous brown decision uh, for their arguments since the 1970s the supreme court as i said has ruled multiple times that race can be used as one factor universities can consider in evaluating applicants for admissions universities say that they need affirmative action to continue to build diverse student bodies and that they argue that diversity actually increases the overall learning environment by providing distinct perspectives and backgrounds. They warn that the schools can no longer use race. They say enrollment by minorities will decline dramatically. Uh, there are others who argue that you can use income, geographic backgrounds, zip codes, etc. as a factor here if race is somehow thrown out. I'm gonna be bringing on a Supreme Court expert in the coming weeks to discuss this case and others. Uh, As I said, we will find out the decision the court makes here in June, but as of right now, it appears based on the questioning, based on the court makeup, and based on the fact that the Supreme Court took this case, despite lower courts uh, standing behind affirmative action. So all signs point to the Supreme Court overturning affirmative action in some way, shape, or form in the spring. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, we're learning more about that uh, home invasion and assault on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband in San Francisco last week. Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, who's 82 years old, is still in the ICU recovering from the hammer attack by the suspect. Federal prosecutors on Monday charged the suspect, whose name is David DePape, he's 42 years old, with assaulting the relative of a federal officer in Paul Pelosi, as well as the attempted kidnapping of of Speaker Pelosi, despite the fact that she was in Washington during the attack. Apparently, the Pape is now opening up and talking to authorities. We're learning details about the extent of his plan. Apparently, he was looking for Speaker Pelosi when he entered the Pelosi home just after 2 a.m. on Friday morning. He was looking to interrogate the Speaker on a political matter, according to the federal complaint, and that if she told the truth, he would let her go. But if she lied, he intended to break her kneecaps because he sees her as the leader of the pack of lies told by the Democratic Party. Really scary stuff here. Uh, De Pape apparently, if again, he had uh, encountered Pelosi, said that he wanted to break her knees and have her be wheeled into Congress as a lesson to other Democrats. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office there in the Northern District of California, which filed the charges, DePape had also brought with him a roll of tape, white rope, a second hammer, a pair of rubber and cloth gloves, as well as zip ties. Really remarkable stuff here as Paul Pelosi continues to recover, and we learn more about what De Pape had intended to do. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, that uh, Nancy Pelosi has security with her, capital security with her, so uh, it's unclear whether he would have gotten through. Still pretty notable what his goals were here. We're going to learn more later today as he is set to appear in court. Now to a pair of foreign elections we have been following. First to Brazil, where the notable headline is who we're not hearing from right now. For months, the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, has claimed that the only way he would lose the election is if it was rigged. Yesterday, for the entire day after he lost, he declined to immediately concede to his challenger, Lula, uh, the leftist who won. And uh, frankly, say anything at all, it has really left Latin America's largest democracy on edge over whether there will actually be a peaceful transition of power. Bolsonaro on Monday spent much of the day holed up in his offices meeting with top advisors, including the Minister of Defense. According to reporting by the Wall Street Journal, at least some of his advisors have urged him to concede. It is not yet clear, though, if he has yet reached a decision, though the late notice on Monday is that Bolsonaro will say something to the country today. Reportedly, he spent Monday night working on a response at the presidential palace. Again, it is unclear what he will say. The silence is really unsettling for Brazil. Uh, Bolsonaro has consistently claimed without any evidence that the country's electronic voting system is rife with fraud and that the left was planning to rig the vote. Many supporters have been quoted in the media saying they are prepared to take to the streets if Bolsonaro says that the uh, election was not legitimate. So far, Brazil's election officials say there is no evidence of any fraud. They actually did an audit of 601 polling stations that found that their vote counts were accurately reflected in the national tally. Brazil, I should note, is the only country to use a fully digital voting system without any paper backups. Uh, which has led to allegations by Bolsonaro uh, that there could be fraud here, though the uh, Ministry of Defense and other folks have investigated the system, which has been used before, and said there was no evidence of fraud leading up to the election. And again, the election officials say there was no evidence of fraud on Sunday. Lule, the leftist who served two terms as Brazil's president uh, going back more than 10 years ago, won the election, according to the latest results, by 2.1 million votes, or just about 2% in election where about 118 million brazilians voted i told you just now that some of bolsonaro's advisors are calling on him to concede one person who's telling him not to concede steve bannon you know him as the podcast host and former advisor to former president trump he claimed in a video on sunday that the uh, vote was rigged and bolsonaro should not concede that he should follow the direction of trump back in 2020 2021 So all eyes are on Bolsonaro today. The Brazilian system, by the way, would have Lula officially take over in just about 60 days on January 1st, should there be a peaceful transition of power. Meanwhile, in Israel today, citizens there are going to the polls and voting in their fifth election in just three years. And for the fifth time, they face the very same question of all the previous votes, whether Benjamin Netanyahu, the populist leader of Israel's right-wing party, the Likud, should lead the country despite being on trial for corruption. So this is election number five, just to recap here, the first three elections ended in a deadlock. Netanyahu was finally ousted in the fourth election last summer after a coalition of eight parties that included for the first time an independent Arabist party, as well as a, some leftist parties, some right-wing parties banded together to remove Netanyahu. The issue they had, though, the so-called government of change had little else in common besides not wanting Netanyahu to remain in power. And so it collapsed earlier this year. Public opinion polls have consistently shown, again, a split uh, country, Netanyahu's party, just shy of the 61 seats they need to form a majority coalition in the 120-seat parliament. Keep in mind, folks, uh, all the Americans are listening. We may have issues in this country, but parliamentary politics are incredibly complex. They bring together a lot of parties, but it does mean, especially in a country like Israel, where they have to build a coalition. So Netanyahu has a block of parties that has just about 60 seats. They need 61 to rule, whereas the other side is, again, this diverse cross-section of left-wing parties, right-wing parties, uh, Arab parties that are all against Netanyahu. They're also very close to 60 seats, so it's going to be a nail-biter again in Israel as they vote for a fifth time here. If Netanyahu is able to pull off those 61 seats in parliament, he would become the prime minister for a third time. He was prime minister back in 1996 for several years. Then he served another 12 year run from 2009 to 2021. By the way, back in 96, when he was first elected, he was just 47 years old, the country's youngest prime minister. He is now 73 years old, as he makes his attempt for now a third, uh, basically sequence in office. The opposition, if they're somehow able to muster the 61 votes, would be led by Yair Lapid. He's the leader of the centrist party. Uh, But right now, it does appear to be an advantage right now to Netanyahu and his comeback effort. One thing a lot of people will be watching is the turnout uh, of all voters, including the more than one million Palestinian voters who hold Israeli citizenship. They account for just under 20 percent of the country's possible voters. The question is Is whether they've been disenchanted in recent years as their parties have uh, really been subject to infighting. The Palestinian-Israeli turnout in the nation's election really could turn the tide here, and that's something uh, I'll be watching uh, on Instagram throughout the day. Back here in the U.S., as we all continue to watch gas prices, we got some news from the White House. President Biden threatened yesterday to seek a new windfall profits tax on major oil and gas companies unless they ramp up production immediately to bring down the price of gasoline. It's the latest escalation in his battle with the energy industry just a week before midterm elections. The president lashed out against companies like Exxon and Chevron, as several of them reported their latest surge in profits. He called the amount of money they're making outrageous and that it's really coming from Russia's war in Ukraine and warned them to use the money to expand oil supplies or return it to consumers in the form of price reductions. ExxonMobil and Chevron recently announced $30 billion in combined net income in just the last quarter, Exxon recently posted the highest profits in its 152-year history. Actually, when you look at it, more than Walmart and Amazon, which are America's two largest companies – Combined, Exxon brought in more profit than those two companies combined. Chevron announced its second best quarterly result in its history as well. Keep in mind here, because we try to reality check things for you on this podcast, the president's embrace here of new taxes on uh, oil companies is really just something he's trying to do for the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. He's trying to put verbal pressure on oil firms. It is not very likely anytime soon that we'll see some sort of windfall profits tax. Congress is not even in session right now because, of course, it's midterm elections. Everyone's out there running, trying to save their seat. And it does appear that Republicans will capture at least one part of Congress in these midterm elections, which would make uh, this windfall profits tax more really verbal than anything else right now. Okay, now to some lighter news. You might have seen this video that's gone viral on TikTok of a woman who uh, hit a golf ball with a golf club into the Grand Canyon. Well, she is now facing charges, according to a statement from Grand Canyon National Park. Late last week, the National Park uh, posted on its Facebook page a screenshot showing the woman at the edge of the canyon's south rim near Mather Point with a golf club in the air. The caption read, do we really need to say don't hit golf balls into the Grand Canyon? Throwing objects over the rim of the canyon is not only illegal, but can also endanger hikers and wildlife who may be below. The Facebook post did not identify the individual, but social media users commented underneath the post to say that the person in the photo is a woman named Katie Sigmund, who has over 7 million followers on TikTok. Grand Canyon Law Enforcement says that she now faces three Class B misdemeanor charges for creating, quote, hazardous conditions, littering, and throwing objects. She could face a fine of up to $1,000 for each of those charges. It is unlikely that she will face jail time, though the case will be heard at a court in Flagstaff, Arizona. No date yet for the court appearance, but keep in mind, folks, please, even for the talk, even for the Instagram, please do not hit golf balls into the Grand Canyon. That obvious advice brings me to my next headline about not picking your nose. There is new research to back this up, folks. This is coming out of Australia. It suggests that picking your nose could increase your risk for developing Alzheimer's or dementia. This new study comes to us from Australia's Griffith University. They found in their study that bacteria can travel through the nasal cavity's olfactory nerve, reach the brain, and create markers that are a telltale sign of Alzheimer's disease. The study revealed that a type of bacteria that can cause respiratory tract infections like pneumonia exploited the nerve that extends between the nasal cavity and the brain as an invasion path to assault the central nervous system. You can read more about the study in the journal Scientific Reports. They actually did this study on mice, but found that there could be evidence this could be scary for humans as well. Like I said, this has to do with the olfactory nerve. It apparently serves as an express route for bacteria to reach the brain. It bypasses the blood-brain barrier, according to the researchers. Right now, their next phase of research is aimed at proving that the same pathway that they found existed in mice, which we often see, also exists in humans. So just to recap here, last story, a do not hit a golf ball into the Grand Canyon. This story, just as your parents always told you, do not pick your nose. Apparently, it could, in this case, lead to dementia. And finally, we'll end with a bit of music history. I know there's a number of you who are big Taylor Swift fans. We learned on Monday that T-Swift scored one of the most historic weeks in the 64-year history of the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart. Taylor is now the first artist to claim the survey's entire top 10 of the top 100 charts She surpasses Drake Actually who logged Nine of the top 10 Back in September of 2021 Leading the way For Taylor On the Hot 100 Was "Anti Hero," Which had just under 60 million streams At number one Followed by Lavender Haze" At two Maroon at three You can keep going I'll include a link In the show notes All 10 songs In the Hot 100 Top here Are from her new album Midnights Which was released Back on October 21st So she took out The Drake record Of nine out of the top 10 The Beatles also had A record of of sorts having the top five songs back in 1964. We shall see how long Taylor is able to maintain this as uh, she continues to dominate streams. By the way, the Hot 100 chart blends all genre U.S. streaming, official audio and video, radio airplay, and sales data. All right, folks, that's it for us on this Tuesday. Jill Wagner will be back with me tomorrow. I want to thank you all for listening to The Daily Podcast. Please remember to follow or subscribe to the show uh, at the top of your app. It'll ensure that you don't miss a single episode. Tomorrow will be a special day. Two episodes will be coming at you, both The Daily uh, Morning Edition as well as an in-depth interview with Julia Borston of CNBC. She has a new book out on what happens when women lead. She's interviewed more than 100 female CEOs and looks at the data and shows, lo and behold, a Women in charge uh, and diverse leadership actually helps the bottom line of companies. Uh, It's a fascinating conversation. She's done some really incredible research here. So I'll have that podcast for you tomorrow. Please remember before you go to also review the Mo News podcast in your app store. Appreciate all of you who are doing it. It helps us grow. You can also get the uh, Mo News newsletter straight to your inbox over at monews.bulletin.com. Please head over there and subscribe. Also follow me on Instagram if you don't already, at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H, over on Instagram. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.